to the Drawing the Ideal Self podcast for July 2021. So I've now been doing this podcast properly for a year. The first couple were things I wrote as a blog post and then read out. Uh, And I decided because when my husband read it, he said, that doesn't really sound like you. Uh, So I decided to have a go at doing it as a proper podcast. Anyway, I've been doing it a year now and can't really believe it's gone that quickly. So if you're new to the podcast, there's some other episodes you can listen to. If you've been listening all of that time, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Um, And what I particularly am grateful for is when people tell me that they found it helpful because it was a bit of a gamble and I wasn't sure if it was a good idea or not. Um, But enough people have come to me and said, thank you very much. We find it useful. So I'm going to carry on. Okay, so today's podcast episode um, has got some stuff in the show notes, uh, a couple of references. But also in the show notes um, is some information about things that are on in PCP in the coming year. And you may want to have a look at those, particularly if you work with children or young people or you're interested in how to use PCP for your own self-care. Those things are coming up uh, through the Coventry Constructivist Centre, which I'm a part of. And there's also some information about an international uh, constructivist meetups, which have been running for the last year. And I've put the links so that you can listen to the talks that have been videoed. Well worth getting on the mailing list for that, because you can have a look at the programme and decide which ones suit you. If you can't get to them, you can always listen to the talk part. All right, let's get on with today's show. So today is an interview that I did with Kathy Sparks and Kathy is a speech and language therapist who is very experienced and trained in PCP. Kathy's going to talk about what it's like in her work which is focused on people with brain injury. Okay, so Kathy, could you tell us a bit about your professional life? Okay, so thinking back to originally where I came from, as it were, professionally. Um, I originally wanted to work as a nurse. Oh, and then okay. I did I did slightly better in my exams than I thought I was going to do. And yeah. so I was reading a book that was what to do after your A-levels. And in there, in a tiny paragraph, I'm not even sure how I saw it, was a paragraph about being a speech and language therapist. And I happened upon that and it said... You had to be good at languages and music and didn't actually mention the science bit, which was quite a large proportion <laughs> of the degree. But anyway, uh, and I thought, oh, I've done a bit better in my A-levels. I might give that a go. And my mum knew a speech therapy assistant and I had a morning with her. And on the back of that, I then went and applied and was successful. And I got in to do speech and language therapy, although it was called okay. speech therapy then. Um, Where was that? So, Where did you do it? I did it at a place called the Central School of Speech and Drama, which is basically an acting college, which does a kind of variety of courses, I guess. Um, It's now moved to be part of City University. Right. So, um, yeah, so it was quite a it was quite an alternative place. Yeah. And uh, (laughs) it was it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Um, Yeah. So that's where I started. And I qualified as a speech and language therapist and then I went into adult neuro adult 
neurology and everything that that brings with it so I guess the reason for going into that was because I'd had a really fantastic placement which I think is often the case isn't it just when you've been a student with somebody that's been really great and the placement was just it just fitted a lot of what I wanted to do uh, around working with adults who had strokes and head injuries and so I applied for my first job which was at Barnet General and I got that and then I moved around North London working as a speech therapist in various hospitals and then I got a manager's job working in a rehab unit um, in southwest London and I was there for about nine years yeah okay and it was during that time that I um, did my diploma in PCP I guess we'll come back to that yeah Uh, and as a result of that then I switched to counselling so I provided counselling but to the same client group so I've been a speech therapist yeah in the same area and then I moved to being well a psychotherapist but tend to call myself counsellor in um yeah neurology neurorehabilitation so and I've now spent nearly as long being a counsellor as I have being a speech and language therapist which is very weird yeah that's interesting isn't it and what 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 was the draw of PCP how did you get into that and you know why well um I remember in my second job actually I was asking my manager for some supervision and she was kind of implying that if I uh, had the need for supervision, then clearly I didn't know what I was doing. (laughs) Yeah, things have changed. I know, I know. And at the same time, I, I, I don't know, I think there was a sort of serendipity moment where I was reading in the our speech therapy bulletin magazine a tiny little advert which was for a PCP foundation course with Peggy Dalton yeah based not far from a house actually not far from where I was living and I thought I I don't know really what made me go for it I didn't really know anything about PCP other than we'd had a couple of lectures at college around stammering yeah Uh, so I went on that and that kind of coincided with this supervision kind of conundrum that um that I was being you know being told that supervision wasn't something that I would be offered and Mm. so going to the PCP foundation course I guess gave me a sense of my worth and my that I needed to value myself and if I valued myself I could probably be a better service in fact I definitely could be a better service to my clients or patients yeah and I guess that it was for counseling purposes but it was also something about my own sort of self-care and yeah. so that was my tiny oh, little wow. it was like yeah. just a moment in time but it's just yeah hugely impactful I suppose yeah. yeah I had a similar kind of experience in the back of a book was it must have been inquiring man and it said you know contact <gasps> Bay Francella at this address Warwick Way or whatever it was which yeah. is now you know no longer there but um mm. it was just I I know why I did it because I'd become interested in it at that point but to find out you could actually do a course was fantastic yeah, <laughs> it's definitely such a joy yeah yeah okay so, I, so yeah. go on 
No, no, I was just going to say, I think that there was something about sitting in the same room as people who were like-minded, not not least of all Peggy Dalton, who obviously was a major guru in, in this field. But I think there was something about the the feel of the group that made me think, oh, these people have got, I've got something in common with these people, even though I've only right. just met them and they're all from very different backgrounds. Yeah. And I suppose it just made me feel like, yeah, this is something that I can connect with and make sense to me. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So mm. you're in then? I was in. Ever since. Yeah, I was in. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, I mean, you, you've done an interesting thing by going from the speech and language to the counselling for the same group. And, it, you know, mm. any PCP, I think it's quite hard to do, if you like, counselling with PCP because it so quickly gets to people's core doesn't it mm, that mm. You, know, you find out what really is bothering them and why um yeah. relatively easily so even though yeah I've got PCP counseling qualification because at the time I couldn't do enough hours to do the psychotherapy I don't think I do counseling really although it's handy to call it that because people get that easily <laughs> yeah 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 that's true I think there's something was something for me about I was really becoming much more interested in the person rather than their specific communication difficulties. So I think probably right. the first eight or nine years of working as a speech therapist, I was very much tuned in to the detail of their communication impairments and disabilities, I guess. And yeah, um, and that's because I worked very much in hospitals. And I think that was a kind of... Um, uh, I don't know that that was a kind of key thread I suppose yeah and then it was when I moved into more rehab that I thought actually I'm becoming much more interested in who this person is who is mm. experiencing the communication difficulties and less wanting to work on the detail of their communicate communication breakdown yeah. so I wanted to be able to refer people to a counsellor who could support that person's communication difficulties but there wasn't anybody okay so then yeah I've become that person I guess yeah um, yeah yeah so and yeah so needed as well you know now when you think about it it's crazy that people wouldn't think that would be an mm. issue mm. yeah it's easier to go to a, a therapist you know they, we call it talking therapies you know mm. but if somebody can't actually talk or yes. they have difficulty understanding or different difficulties cognitively conceptualizing their grief or the way they want to rethink their own identity then of course there are going to be barriers in the interaction yeah. and yes. that's not to say that a lot of counselors who aren't speech language therapists or don't have that training can't offer that They're, they can so i'm not saying that yeah I've got special powers or anything. <laughs> um, but I think it's definitely advantaged me in being able to offer um, uh, that sort of space where pe people know that I come from a background yeah. of understanding what their communication difficulties might be about. They don't have yes. to necessarily explain yeah. what aphasia is or what cognitive difficulties or executive difficulties yeah. are because I... I, I yeah. understand generally um, what yeah. they are. I would imagine mm. that's quite a relief for people when they're 
seeking some help because most people won't come yeah. from that background at all will they I, I think it is because I think what happens is although I go in as a counsellor I think my role can become many other things so mm. it can become an educator and it can yeah. become a navigator and it can you know I can I can help them to see where a speech and language therapist's role might begin and end or where an occupational yeah. therapist or psychologist I might say oh that's that's definitely something that you need to see the psychologist about and that's yeah. not so much my role so I think it it helps in lots of different ways and people are yeah they are relieved they're, they're they kind of feel a bit more settled that I know what I'm doing yes mm. and I wonder have you got any idea how many dual qualified speech and language therapists there are PCP and I don't yeah language. <laughs> I don't really know I mean I know some people who have moved from speech and language therapy to into counseling or psychotherapy but I don't necessarily know that many oh yeah less than a handful I guess or who've moved from a therapy profession to counseling I don't mm. really know that many who who are um, working in brain injury and certainly not who are working using PCP so I, I guess I've become the niche mm. it's it's, t- it's very yeah but I also don't want to say oh then I'm the I'm the only person that can offer this yeah you know I think there's lots of counsellors out there who can offer and people feel comfortable it's just yeah. that I have that's what I happen to bring to the the mix yeah yes and mm-hmm. very helpfully because if if other people are thinking they will offer that to a client then what have they got to take into account? You know, I'm I'm thinking that people who have a head injury or some kind mm. of neurological damage, mm. you know, the risk to their sense of self is enormous, isn't it? Um, and it it mm. would be easy to be caught up in all the medical side and test and retest for different things. And yeah, you're getting better at that and worse at that. It may make no difference to them that they're getting a bit better, you know, because mm. of how they feel. Mm. Yeah, I guess from my speech and language therapy background, we were obviously therapists who were assessing with tests, you know, that were numerical or had a sort of checklist and what have you. But I was a very big fan of um, goal negotiation and working out actually what the person was interested in and what made sense for them and how we could set not necessarily a, a very defined goal but at least a goal kind of area which had meaning for them so I I suppose I've not necessarily worked so much using goals in that with that terminology as a counsellor but there's a thread of what is it that people are trying to work towards or what is it that people are trying to cope with and very much referencing their starting point rather than yeah. a test which is about some norms and yeah. you know how they relate to that so yes. I think that PCP has offered me that perspective and the confidence I think to start with where the person is yes. rather than where the test is tests yeah. are really useful but they 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 don't have much meaning I think for the person um, yeah that's in front of you Yes. And that's trouble, isn't it? That they're based on a norm and you mm. might be talking to someone who's way outside the average. Um, 
or doesn't yeah. see themselves like that. And it doesn't matter how many times you tell them, well, that isn't too much of a problem with that. If it is to them, it is. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's right. And they might have something they want to work on or work towards, which is mm. massively different from yeah. where you think. So I think, again, that suspending your own construction of what you think they might be wanting you know yes. somebody you might think oh they oh they're probably going to want to go back to work or they're probably going to want to look at their relationship with their partner or whatever but no they want to work on they maybe decide that they want to take a different angle yeah. and want to work on I don't know um setting up a new business or having a different yeah. hobby or um yeah or maybe I'm not maybe their communication is an issue but they more of an issue but they want to work on their physical you know and I think that's another yes. what's what's most important for people and I guess that's yeah. a, that's a big part of good listening I suppose good listening and then I suppose a level I think of belief that that is so important that you cannot then ignore it <laughs> you know because yeah. sometimes people could do the listening and they can hear and they can write in the notes this person wants to work on this yeah. well, I'm going to do that <laughs> or because this fits with what our service offers we can only do that yes and and I think that's another PCP thing for me is about seeing that there are always alternatives so if somebody comes with something that I think is an alternative and not the thing that I might imagine I don't tend to pre-think too much because otherwise I can yes. hold on to my view but there's always there's a, you know that's just a big part of it there's there's always an alternative way there's always an alternative that they might come with that they want to look at and then there's yeah. always an alternative way of approaching it which we'll find together yeah and what you know in terms of your work with people with all those kinds of difficulties cognitively and um, what sort of things do you see people come to you about are there any repeating themes to do with having a head injury or some kind of neurological damage I and mean, sometimes I guess it it can be damaged that it's quite hard for people to see to know well, about I, yeah I get I yeah so one of the things is their expectations of themselves I think that's that's a theme that recurs is that they come thinking uh that I or any professional will be able to make them who they were before so right. I, I suppose that's notwithstanding what their communication or cognition is like I mean I would be the same <laughs> I would yeah. want to you know find a way of finding myself yeah uh, you know and finding those skills again so I, I think that managing people's expectations of what therapy can offer and what potential they have and I wouldn't say that I say to people that they haven't got potential. I think everybody has. I genuinely believe everybody's got potential, but it's how yeah. that is expressed. So it, it's not necessarily that they're going to have the potential to go back to who they were before or achieve their ideal self, I suppose, in that way. So I think that that's a big one. And I suppose that's sort of coupled with quite a lot of general self-awareness and insight issues. But that's always a tricky one because sometimes mm. it's the sort of protective denial that they're just denying. And sometimes it's actually that they've specifically got an insight problem. So, yeah, and that's always hard to work out. And it's quite often a bit of both. So yeah. I suppose to start with, it's developing people's 
awareness of themselves, who they are, who they could be, what the yeah. possibilities are, managing their expectations of the role of therapy and intervention in that, yeah, and the role of other activities or other relationships like friends, family, yeah. other social relationships, work, um, hobbies, um, plans, you know, saying I'm one part of a bigger picture. I think that's another kind of part of it. And I suppose for people who have changed quite dramatically, whether it's with their communication or uh, their cognition, I suppose it's a, a case of trying to help them to see that they're there is a, a richness in communicating or being different from how yeah. they were before and about working with families or friends to kind of support that difference that it's yeah. acceptable and okay. Um, yeah. I, I'm wondering about people deal. who have a, a very sudden injury to their brain, you know, mm. say they get knocked down or something mm. like that. Mm. That must be very different from people who know they've got declining function, I guess. Oh, um, definitely. Yeah, it it is different. It, it's difficult to kind of generalise, but I would say yeah. most people I see have been fine one day and not fine the next. You know, there's been wow. a definite moment in time. They may have had no um, clue. I mean, occasionally people yeah. have had like a small TIA or a little mini stroke, and then they end up having a big stroke. Some yeah. people know that they're maybe young, perhaps 18 to 30 year olds maybe they have had a few accidents because they're quite high risk takers so they may have had something right. which has they've come off a bike or motorbike or yeah they've done some extreme sport and they've got injured and then this time they've injured their head yeah so they may have had a sense of what the sort of person that they are and they are taking a risk or they may have had a pre um, condition like a previous high blood pressure or something but essentially nobody's really prepared for it <laughs> nobody's prepared yeah. for that one day you're not okay and and the next day you're, you're not you know you're just hopeful that that isn't going to happen yeah whatever you do you might have changed your diet you might have lost weight you might have stopped yeah. smoking but you still might have a stroke yeah uh, it's just you know you just do your best and you might wear a crash helmet if you're doing some extreme sport but you yeah. still might land on your head and it still might yeah. cause damage. So I would say that most of my caseload is those people who've had a sudden and lasting change to their physical or cognitive or communication abilities and their sense of identity and their sense of self. And with that comes a whole range of difficulties in relation to work, in relation to if they're of working age, which they often are, or in relation to their family and friends uh, yeah. and their sort of losses that they experience, their loss of future. You know, it's sort yeah. of like, well, what have you lost from the past? But actually a lot of it is around their loss of what they were anticipating they might have. So yeah. if somebody's in their 50s, let's say, and they have a stroke, they were perhaps thinking they might retire at 60 and they would yeah. then have their life. They would have their traveling around the world or yeah I don't know buying a house in France or whatever they wanted to do yeah and they have lost that future so it's yeah. really massive for people yeah and it must be so difficult for the people they live with as well do you would you ever see the young people involved you know let's say their brother or sister or their child 
um, because you know yeah. they they've got even less experience of life. I think it must be very tough for them to understand that change. I would start with the person who's been referred. You know, I'd start yeah. with the person with the the injury or the stroke or whatever, and then I would have a conversation maybe on that first time if it's appropriate with a family member if if that person wants you know very much guided by what they're wanting uh I have had situations where um I had yeah so I had a a lady who had a progressive neurological difficulty and she was just at the stage where really starting to sort of have a bit of insight but not enough to really understand what her difficulties were Mm. and so I said, did she, you know, I was saying, did she want me to see her? She was referred. And she was like, I don't think I've got any problems. I think I'm okay, really. But you kind yeah. of knew that she probably did have, she sort of knew, but but didn't know. But yeah. her husband said, well, if she's not going to have therapy, then would you see me? And I said, right. that, that's okay. If your wife has decided not to have me see her, then I can see you. But I can't then see yeah. her again. I kind of try and make right. it. So, sometimes I might see people together got a couple at the moment that I see together and then I sometimes see the guy who's the one who's had a he's got a brain tumor actually I see him on his own yeah Uh, and then sometimes I see the children or but I very much it's always with the person in mind so I wouldn't say oh yeah I'll definitely see oh yeah anybody can (laughs) see me yeah I'll always ask permission yeah, And if it's not appropriate for me to see them, then I would find someone else because it's yeah. easier to find someone else with the family because they haven't got a communication difficulty. Yeah, so sure. Try to sort of really um, focus on the person with the communication or cognitive impairments. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's only relatively recently that people have understood the needs of the wider family, haven't they? That, you know, I'm when I was young, I don't think people even thought about that. You know, practice was crazy in comparison to now. All the things that we understand about, you know, the impact of being a carer all of a sudden mm, or mm. Uh, of having a parent with a disability all of a sudden. You know, all of that stuff was unknown before, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I would say that we would always, when I was working as a speech therapist, we would always have given uh, uh, the option for the family to have sessions we've had some group sessions with different families together because I think that yeah. could be also very helpful some families didn't want they want they said no no spend all the time with my partner or with my dad they didn't want to get involved but there's a lot of work around um conversation partners and understanding that obviously it's it's not just about the person with the difficulty it's about whoever's in yeah. their circle and yeah. how to help them to communicate and support their difficulties so I think it's something that I've always thought was important but it's definitely definitely changed in terms of the global kind of attention that's been paid to it yes um, and the value of that work yeah absolutely I mean the role of the fact there is a role of a carer now you know that yes it was ignored before wasn't it just that's just somebody's mum or partner or and that word carer as well the word carer which is is just so loaded when Mm. I know that some people sort of say well I my wife if she's becoming my carer I'm not sure she's my wife now and having that type of conversation she's become so much of a carer that we've lost our 
you know, relationship yeah. around husband and wife or yeah. partners or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, very sure. difficult. And would you, you know, somebody was using a PCP approach, working with people in those situations, what would you say are the key things they need to take note of? Um, right. So I think, I guess some of the stuff that we referred to already for example always starting with I've just got a big thing about always starting with the client never mind how much information you might have been told uh, from other professionals giving that opportunity for them to talk about their story and their perspective and their construction of what's happened I think is that that would be my sort of starting point I think giving people choice around how to work so that could be from the practicality of how often and where and all those kind of things but also what area is most relevant and most important again suspending my own Mm. stuff I guess (laughs) I might think it's better to work in this way so I yeah I think um, really focusing in on what's most meaningful for that person developing the relationship around the two experts in the room I think that's yeah not saying I do quite a lot of work saying I don't have the answers for you I'm here as a collaborator I'm here as a you know I'm here in the sort of um alongside you I think that's for me that's a very PCP thing to be yeah yeah kind of bigging them up in terms of their knowledge of themselves which of course I yeah I don't have any knowledge of them until they land in the room <laughs> you know, yes I, yeah um maybe a bit about their medical side but not really about who they are as a as a person I think I've got an ultimate sort of positivity through using PCP I would always mm. not saying that people can achieve things that they can't achieve but when people are saying or intimating that there's no way out I think I'm always saying we we can make this work we can make something happen here and yeah invariably we can even if it's just helping them to see things a bit differently so it may be that they can't do some things that they want to do but maybe they can see and view the world differently yeah um through working with them and again I think that's sort of the the idea of the different lens through which they might Mm. see the world I think can can be different yeah Uh, yeah I don't know whether yeah what (laughs) yeah that's really helpful and what if you if if you met somebody who was going into this area of work what sort of challenges do you think they're likely to face I've never done any more than a very cursory glance at that work <laughs> but I can think oh I think it'd be pretty difficult and there are going to be all kinds of issues that are going to affect me so what sort of things you know would you say to let's say if it's a somebody in your situation speech and language therapist mm, who mm. wants to get into the kind of therapy work mm. that you're doing mm, um mm. what do they need to watch out for I think being very prepared I would say I immediately you're asking that I was thinking I need always need to have my sort of basket of tools I guess yeah. so it's 
um, not equipment, but so it could be physical items or it could be conceptual items. Yeah. I I suppose it's all, it's sort of like any therapist, like your tools and techniques, but it might be yeah. some physical things. So I think it can it could be quite daunting for someone to open up a dialogue. Maybe they are a speech therapist and they want to open up a little bit more of a dialogue with somebody that's to do with their more emotional side. Yeah. What I would say is that uh, even if they weren't wanting to become a psychotherapist or a counsellor, just opening up a little bit more, I would. I think they would feel more confident if they had some frameworks, some tools, some techniques. And I would say most of my... Most of my time, I a blank sheet of paper is really helpful, mm. and some pens, and yeah. a basket of or box of buttons or shells or yeah. something that gives a sort of like a triangulation, so that it's not just you and them, and they can't really yeah. speak very well or they can't really communicate very well. I would say get some things on the table, which could be the blank right. sheet of paper to do some drawing or writing yeah. or just to keep an account of what they're saying if they're saying the odd word write the word down yeah really trying to keep that level relationship as much as you can in terms yeah. of that they're what they're saying is valuable or uh you know or using some buttons or stones or picture cards yeah i would have those physical items in my um in my basket or in my bag yeah. with me in case <laughs> notwithstanding that I might use something in their environment if I'm in there don't be nervous I would probably say that don't be nervous to reach for some things in the client's environment they might be sitting in their living room and they might have some photos on the side I might yeah. use the photos as a way of not just like oh who are these people but a, a way of helping them to express something about how they're feeling so yeah. or they might have some postcards stuck on their fridge or they might have yeah. you know I'd be like oh can we why don't we have a look at this and I had one lady who had her own jewelry business and she basically dismissed my <laughs> my offer of <laughs> my tools and said she wanted to use her jewelry oh, and so we used okay. her jewelry so I think there's having the confidence to actually have some items that would yes. support the communication around the more psychological conversation, I would say would be helpful. And then I, I guess there's a load of um, PCP tools and techniques that I might use, like I might use a dependency grid, might have that yeah. as a conversation, just looking at who they were depending on, whether it was always their partner or, you know, looking at how they could spread their dependence on others. So that's... Yeah. That's what I mean conceptually. I might have that yes, as another. Yeah. yeah, that's really useful. And asking people just what three words might someone say about you, might your husband yeah. say about you, might your friend. Those in my in my toolkit. So yeah. that if somebody has very minimal language or is finding it difficult, offering them a little bit of scaffolding, I suppose, to yeah. enable the conversation. Otherwise, yeah. you might think it's a bit silent. <laughs> Somebody can't <laughs> speak. And offering yeah. them a pen, offering them those sort of choices, I suppose. And what about, you know, mm. those, just thinking about the silence, the processing difficulties that some of these people must have. You know, you mm. speak and then they take a while to 
work out what you're trying to say and then they've got to work out their answer what's that like sitting with them I'm thinking if, if somebody's a, a new to this kind of discussion that could be quite daunting mm. couldn't they then they might be tempted to carry on rush on <laughs> well I I suppose that's where my speech and language therapy background comes in because we would have used or I would still use a what we might refer to as a total communication approach. So we would be saying something, we might be um, drawing it, we might be writing it, we might be pointing to it. So I would be maximising that person's opportunity to understand what I'm saying. And also I would right. be monitoring the way that I was asking. So I wouldn't be giving lengthy sentences. Like I'm speaking a lot here. Yeah. There's no way that I would speak like this if I was with a client who had minimal language output or and yeah. or some difficulties with input, their processing. Yes. I suppose I would just be starting to find out what what helps. So that yeah. would be an initial session. What helped them to understand? What helped them to express? And I would be trying lots of different approaches, drawing, writing, speaking, a combination yeah. of two or three or more uh, yeah. or I might ask the family member what they're what they find successful you know so I'm really looking to it's not it, it's not supposed to be a, a space where somebody feels like they're being tested <laughs> oh you seem to be having difficulty there shall I try some drawing let's try some drawing does that help maybe that doesn't okay. help if that doesn't help I might you know so I'm really I'm maybe trying to guess what they're saying not guess as in just something random but I'm they look like they're trying to say something I might say are you trying to say this or are you trying to say that so I wouldn't be sitting there waiting for them yeah. having said that I might give them some space if I think that that's yeah. what they need it's a it's a delicate balance yes yeah. so do you do you sometimes have people who may be able to write but can't speak yes yep yeah right. you can and it may be by writing that actually helps their speech Right. Okay. And would you, yeah. if someone's like that, would you write to them? They might be sitting with you, but would you have an exchange of writing or would you speak and they write? Whatever's most helpful for them. Yeah. There's not a right or wrong really there. There's, if it's helpful, if they find it helpful that I maybe say and write and they also write, fine. Yeah. If they find it more helpful for me to say and them to write and me to say out loud just to check, yeah, I'll do whatever. I'll do whatever feels most useful for them. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And what about um, supervision then? Because, yeah, I'm very aware that if people are working in your kind of area, you know, they, they might be acutely aware of their supervision needs, unlike your previous manager. <laughs> because you, you're dealing you're dealing with people. And I, I suppose I I always think that supervision is being aware of yourself and thinking about how it impacts on you and not being afraid to notice that not pretending to yourself that no no I'm mm. fine with this and you must meet people who are doing that kind of work who um they hadn't realized that it was going to get to them and really upset them or make them annoyed or whatever it is yeah so I suppose there's different people that I supervise. So I supervise quite a lot of therapists, so speech therapists, occupational therapists, physios, psychologists. Um, yeah, I have supervised social worker. You know, I've supervised people yeah. on their professional practice. 
maybe yeah. some clinical practice as well you know that might include clinical practice yeah. or also but it might include a wider reach uh, I suppose um, and I think that some of those people are very drawn to working more psychologically with yeah clients and and I guess the ones who are more likely to be drawn to working in that way with people within the you know the the role that they have are often those who are more aware and less surprised about the impact because they already they oh. probably already quite aware so they already yeah. they may they may be surprised about some out, you know I'm not saying that they've got it all <laughs> sussed or anything but I guess they're ones who are who know that they're stepping into that realm that they're using right. their counseling skills the people and well and then I do supervise some counselors as well but obviously that's a different yeah. sort of, but the people who maybe as you're describing are a bit shocked are people perhaps who are more likely to work in a way that is not taking so much account of the person's psychological needs which is fine because that's mm. how they've decided to work but then what happens is that that person's psychological needs can't be ignored and yeah. they they bring something I don't know the speech therapy space which is more emotional and that then does impact on the supervise my supervisee and then they would yeah. bring it perhaps in a state of panic <laughs> that yeah they hadn't intended it to go in that direction but the person yeah taken it in that direction and I'm always a big validator of the fact that somebody's felt comfortable to open up even if yeah. you weren't necessarily saying let's talk about how you feel about this <laughs> you know yeah the fact you've created a space that people feel comfortable mm. and confident to say something difficult is is massive um, yeah but obviously it's quite derailing for some therapists who don't want yeah. to work in that way necessarily and so yeah. that's more of a challenge for the supervisee and maybe sometimes more of a challenge for me to help them to feel like they haven't suddenly opened a can of worms which is often the expression oh I've opened this can of worms and I don't know what to do with it yeah but I think often people only bring things that they actually are comfortable bringing and just sitting with it can be as helpful as doing anything yeah about it so it's helping the supervisee see that you you offer supervision that specialists for PCP as well and there may be people listening to this who are <laughs> PCP people either in this kind of field or mm. they're speech and language therapists thinking I would love a PCP supervisor so tell us about what you have on offer <laughs> it's like I'm selling myself Heather here <laughs> that's fine <laughs> Um, well, first of all, um, yeah, I, I guess a large number of people who I see for supervision, I would be using my PCP approach and they may or may not know it. So yeah. I'm not I do say at the beginning, this is my background and this is PCP and et cetera. And I might be. So I often am implicitly using it rather than explicitly saying about it. So I might say, oh, this model might be helpful. And this is from PCP. And my yeah. questioning will be of very much of a PCP style, but I'm not necessarily th thrusting PCP into their practice because yeah. I think that's their choice. If they, they they like to be supervised by me, 
that could be because of the PCP-ness of me or that could be for other reasons, my background, yeah. whatever. But there are some people who want the PCP bit of me. <laughs> and so yes. we would foreground, I guess, the PCP theory or the PCP approaches, but not to the exclusion of what they want to bring. It would always yeah. be centred again, like with the patient. It's the, That's the starting point. The supervisee, yeah. that's the starting point is what do they want to bring? And let's just have a regular supervising supervisory relationship. But I might ask them, it, you know, they might have done the foundation course, for example, and they may want me to yeah. kind of help them to highlight or they may have come with something that's a, a bit PCP. And they might say, oh, I think yeah. I did a bit of PCP there. Or, oh, would that yeah. technique be helpful? So, I'm, yeah, I'm very aware that I'm, that is my approach. Yeah. Um, and with some people I've foreground it and some people not. But I also yeah. do run a supervision group, which is specifically for people who work as practitioners. We've got some speech therapists, I've got a psychologist, I've got a coach in there as well. So they yeah. work in their normal jobs, as it were, but they've yeah. done the foundation course. And right. they're wanting to use the PCP more in their practice. So it's very foregrounded. That's what they've come for. They've come yes. for the PCP-ness okay. of supervision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and and do you, you do that on Zoom, I think, do you at the moment? You must do it at the moment. At the moment, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, actually, some people um, don't live in, near me anyway. So we were right. doing a kind of hybrid before, but now actually it, it works quite well because we're all on Zoom and we yeah. can still share things, you know, the yeah. shared screen on Zoom and that works really yeah. well. In fact, it may be that that's what we carry on with because yeah. it's a level, it's more of a level playing field. People like yes. to come to my house, I think, and have a coffee and of course, <laughs> the yeah. social aspect of it. But um, yeah, but I, I think it's nice that the people who don't live near here get the opportunity it feels it feels a bit more even yeah they, yeah um, and, it, and I think yeah, there could be okay. somebody in Scotland who wants you because you're a PCP person and yeah. you're a speech and language therapist and how yeah. could they access it easily except remotely like that yes and that's just helped that's just been such an interesting bit of creativity around this year isn't it how mm. to use zoom and not feel like it was a second best, which with some situations I know some of my clients have felt will make yeah. do with this, but we really want to get back to having you in the same room. Yes. But I think the, yeah. the supervision group, it's um, everybody's more used to Zoom, so it's not my favourite, but it's it offers something that I think can be really helpful. So I yeah. have to like it. Yeah, <laughs> I have I to like the same. it. <laughs> <laughs> I would never choose to do it over being with somebody in a in a room. <laughs> However, in these yes. circumstances, it's better than not having it. Um, yeah. You know, and it can be a lot better than not having it. You know, it's not just that it's the yeah, worst totally. ever offer. It it mm. can work out to be fine, but it, mm. still, all of us who work with people like being with people, don't we? <laughs> I know you can't beat being in the same room as yeah. another human being no 
And it, you know, to me as well, and I'm guessing if you do some of your sessions on Zoom with your clients, mm. there's something that you're not seeing. You're not seeing, you know, that they're now started jiggling their knee because they're getting agitated by what you're saying or they're feeling worried about it or whatever. But you haven't mm. got that clue to pick up that there's going to be something coming in a minute. Yeah, I mean, the nonverbal communication side of things is absolutely critical in a lot of interactions with people because mm. it's a larger percentage of their communication potentially than the verbal. Yeah. So I suppose for some people we've had to not work across Zoom because it doesn't actually work for people. Right. So yeah, we've kind of had to mix and match what does yeah. work and what doesn't work. And having said that, it has been helpful. So I've been running a group for people with stroke and head injury um, brain injury on zoom which has been going wow. over a year now uh, it was a group of people okay. who met anyway we met yeah. face to face anyway then obviously covid hit and we switched to zoom and i probably would have predicted that it wouldn't have worked so well on zoom but we yeah. carried on going for the whole year every two weeks and now every month wow and well done they've all learned well they've all learned how to use zoom better they've learned how yeah. to interact so it's a support group for people with you know a neurological yeah. difficulty and some sort of cognitive or communication problem yeah. and it's again starts with the group whatever they want so I don't go with an agenda mm. other, than, other than we do have a we do have a quiz every time now because that's what they yeah. asked for okay um, and okay. we're starting getting some of the clients doing the quiz as well yeah so yeah yeah that's interesting have you written that up Kathy no <laughs> it would be good That'd I think they a, should a write really... it up to be honest they would write yeah. well yeah. yeah yeah but somebody should yeah. don't you think you know that because well, I think I think it, yeah people might think it's impossible to do that's what I'm thinking that you can't do that with that client group in you know using all the fiddly things to do with using zoom etc it mm. won't work Mm. we have had some learning points shall we say (laughs) but so is everybody (laughs) and I I think actually one of the things I was going to mention was that the the group has you know worked amazingly well and they're all very connected and they've enjoyed that but I think also some people have found it better than face-to-face purely from the perspective that they don't have to travel and right. fatigue is often an issue for people yeah. or, or can be an issue for people with brain injury. And that has been, um, you know, that problem has been taken away because mm. they don't have to travel. So they might have managed this two. It's a two hour group. They might have managed it. But it, by the end or by the last half hour, they might have been struggling and then wiped yeah. out for the rest of the day. But now they can sleep till when they want. They can have the group. They don't have to leave their house. They don't have yeah. to get on either public transport for some people or a lift from others. So, yeah, you know, it, it solves that mm. problem for them like it would solve a problem if somebody wanted supervision in Scotland or yeah, far away. You know, it, it solves some transport travel yeah. issues and the sort of consequences yeah. of that. So, yeah. And it in lots of ways, it's been a good year for PCP because stuff has moved online mm, and people mm. in other countries have been able to attend which is great isn't it no, and that's no. really different 
people can get some training yeah. through you um how do you want people to contact you if they're interested in that okay so i have yeah so i have over the years run a lot of foundation courses and yeah. more recently with adele pile we've run an introductory day which then has from some people who were on it wanted then to turn into a foundation course so a number of people from there we've now created an online training course or we are creating it as we go i suppose so i think if people want some online either an introductory day because people might not want to commit to six yeah. days which is what we would do all together so the introductory day would be one of those six days right um then they can contact me at my email address which is okay at uk. so i have a website yeah. if i put your website people can find your email from the website can't they yeah 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 so great yeah that is a that is an option yeah <laughs> and that's the good thing about that is if you're doing it online it doesn't matter where people live so great and there are people yeah. listening to this in other countries, apparently, according to my podcast Ooh. app that tells me that. So you never know. <laughs> I have someone from somewhere Ooh, what's, else. What's your reach? Where's, how far is your reach? Uh, <laughs> Australia. Ooh, America. Yeah, that's good. Wow. <laughs> that's your inter that internationally renowned, Heather. Uh, no, I think it's just that there aren't, there aren't any others. <laughs> but it, that'll do. <laughs> I don't mind that. Eventually, other people will do them, so that's good. <laughs> okay, that's really helpful. Has that been right? Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Well, that was a really interesting interview, and it's made me think a lot about what it might be like if I were in that situation as somebody who'd had that kind of brain injury. Kathy certainly has some ideas about how to work creatively with people who are struggling to communicate. Uh, and I think those will be useful, whatever client group you work with. Kathy also sent me a paper, which was uh, published in a book called Psychotherapy and Aphasia. And I will put a, a link to that as well in the show notes, because that was really interesting. OK, so next month, I'm not sure exactly what we're going to do. It may actually be another interview, if I can get that sorted out. Otherwise, I'll find an interesting paper or at least a paper I find interesting and I'll uh, talk to you about that. So that's going to be August and in between then and now, I hope you have a really good summer. Um, obviously, if you're in the UK, you might be depending on the weather. And so far, it's been pretty good. Might not stay that way. That's how it is here. If you're in another part of the world, you might not be in summer. Um, so you've got something to look forward to where we're only going to have darker nights from now on, which is a bit grim. But there we go. We've got plenty of days left. OK, I look forward to seeing you next month. Bye.